Thanks, Mandy. I wonder if you can picture what it would have been like to witness, be an eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus. As we uh, read the Gospels, perhaps if you've been a, a Christian for a long time, you read the stories uh, in a, a childlike way, which is good, of course, but we miss sometimes the details, don't we, when we read uh, these passages of Scripture as if we were a child and not as an adult. We miss the details. You know when you write an essay of your own and you've written that essay and you really need somebody else to check it over because you know it so well. And they pick up all the mistakes that you've made along the way. And it can be like that when we read the Bible. Oftentimes we need to read it with fresh eyes and see once again what is happening within it. This short little passage of scripture shows us with fresh eyes that Jesus must have been seriously overworked. Verse 35 tells us that he goes throughout all of the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. To us, this seems like a throwaway comment, but if we follow the historian, the ancient historian Josephus, he will tell us that there's some, uh, somewhere in the vicinity of 204 villages with 15,000 people or more in each one. That's more, than the, uh, that's more than the population, more than one and a half times the population of this postcode, 204 times over. And when we see this, we start to get a picture of just how big the ministry of Jesus was. And this is only in the region of Galilee. Now, many of you will know, if you're in a caring-based profession, there is something known as compassion fatigue. And in order to deal with compassion fatigue, those who are in caring professions sometimes need extra time off or professional supervision of some sort or other things to stop them from burning out. And we actually know, don't we, that Jesus did things like this. He often uh, retreated from the people he was ministering to in order to pray, or, 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 or got in a boat and went to the other side to get away, only to find that the crowds were there on the other side. Or as we saw last week in chapter 9, Jesus was followed by two blind men, but didn't stop to heal them, actually, until he got to his destination the house where he finally did heal the two men. But one thing we do know about Jesus, though he got these, time out, these pieces of time out, one thing was never affected, and that is his compassion. We've been looking over the last few weeks about being confronted by different aspects of Jesus, his authority, his ministry, and today we see his compassion. His compassion that is laid upon us and to which we are urged to respond. This morning, I'd really love it if you have your Bible open in front of you because we're going to look not only at this short section of Scripture, but an overview of the whole of chapter 10. And uh, there will be a question time afterwards as well. We're not going to be able to go into detail on chapter 10, uh, but uh, I'd love to have it there in front of you so that we can see what it's saying as well. Uh, let me pray and then we'll dive aboard into this passage of Scripture. Heavenly Father, please show us this morning the compassion of Jesus, that we might be struck by it and motivated by it to be sent out into the world to serve the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know how you've got your calendar set up, maybe on the wall at home or in your device in some way, and whether or not Sunday is the start of the week or the end of the week. For different people, it runs differently, and uh, for some... It changes everything because most of us are living a busy life. 
Sunday can be the start of the week or the end of the week, but it's not like it used to be. The weekend used to be two days of rest, two days at the end of the week to finish off the week, two days of rest, but that is quickly being eroded. We all work and we all work all week. And then Saturday is taken up by running errands or taking people to sport or catching up on the things that you need to do around the house and that bleeds into Sunday and before you know it, you're weary and worn out. And we've got all the help in the world with technologies that are supposed to do things for us and yet we are still weary and worn out. This is the world in which we live but it's always been this way actually. Look at verse 36 of chapter 9. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The types of words here that Matthew uses are those weary and worn out type of words. That they're harassed and helpless. Literally like they've had the skin stripped off them is what Matthew's trying to say. They've come to the end of themselves and Jesus sees the crowds and he has compassion on them. But notice what he says or what it says about why he has compassion. He has compassion upon them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. This is loaded Old Testament terminology. Sheep, the people of God, without shepherds, the leaders doing what they should do. And Jesus sees them as rudderless, leaderless, and he has compassion on them. Imagine again how hard it would have been for Jesus. So many people to talk to, so many people to help, so many people to heal, so many places to be. And there are a bunch of people, the leaders of the people of God, the nation of Israel, who should be helping, but they aren't. And so Jesus is is out on his own in many ways. And in his humanity, he cannot do all that is required of him to help all of these people. And he can't help but look out on the crowds and see them with compassion. And so what does Jesus do? Well, what would you do? If there was a, a, a huge group of people that needed attention, that needed help, that needed talking to, that needed... Well, wouldn't you come up with a plan? Wouldn't you come up with a way of organising things or strategising about what needs to be done? Certainly that's what I would do. Come up with some sort of plan to let's work this out so that we can get all of these people looked after. But but Jesus goes in a different direction. Look at what he says in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Step one is to pray. Not to plan or organise or strategize, but to pray. To send out labourers into the harvest field. Now, of course, nothing much has changed today. It's just that the crowds don't tend to congregate all in the same places in the same way as they used to, but the world is lost. Sheep without a shepherd, rudderless. Helensburg, 
Stanwell Park and Surrounds is lost. Rudderless, sheep without a shepherd. Do you do that through the week? Drive down Walker Street and see people wandering about the shops, wandering up and down the main street of our town and think to yourself, these people are lost. Sheep without a shepherd, rudderless. Because this is the truth of the matter. And our world knows this is the case. We, we seek to find leaders in this world, actually. People to follow. Whether it's personalities and influences and celebrities or, or, or whether we think that we can just get this world right by getting the right information and education. Or we think to ourselves, if we can just get the right people in government to make the right decisions then the world will work itself out. Or if if we can organise ourselves to make all the right social decisions, then everything will be fine. But no, the world is rudderless, sheep without a shepherd. And they need the king of the kingdom. And Jesus would say to us today, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest field. Do you get a feel for what our world is really like? Do you get a feel for what our suburb is really like? Do you get a feel for what the people are like that we work with, that we study with, that we're friends with? Sheep without a shepherd, lost, in need of the king of the kingdom. Well, it wouldn't make sense really, would it? For us to move on from this verse without doing what Jesus tells us to do. So let's stop now. I'm going to pray for us that the Lord might do exactly what he wants us us to ask for, that he might do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the world in which we live is lost, sheep without a shepherd, rudderless. We ask that you would give us the same compassion for the world around us that Jesus has. And we pray that you would send out us, your labourers, into the harvest field. For the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Please use us, we ask, your servants, to hold on to and hold out the gospel of the Lord Jesus to the lost world around us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the prayer that Jesus asks his disciples to pray is the first step. May we always give ourselves over to prayer in such a way, but it's notice it's not the only step. Jesus goes from here in chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, to send out his 12 as an extension of his ministry. And we won't go through the names in detail, but they're hardly what you'd describe as the crack team, these disciples in chapters chapter 10 verses 1 to 4 if you were a football uh, club recruiter and you recruited these guys to your club you'd probably get a job at the west tigers but that's just the way things work it's horrendous this is terrible they're a bad group of people but they go with the authority of jesus and that makes all the difference they are sent into the world. The rest of this chapter, chapter 10, is about what takes place when they are sent. 
Now, we need to take some care here as we apply this passage to our own lives. It's, it's a desire of ours to grab a passage like this and immediately apply it to us. But in the first place, it is to be applied to the 12 that Jesus is talking to. Of course, we are sent into the world as well. The very end of this gospel in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus will describe all disciples being sent into the world to make disciples wherever it is that we go. And so there are some things here that are unique to the 12 disciples being sent and there are some things that are true of all of the sending that Jesus does, both us and them. So let's have a quick look at some of those things that are the same and different between these two groups of people. First, Jesus sends both groups of people. He sends the 12 and he sends us. Matthew chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 28 both describe being sent out into the world in the authority of Jesus with the compassion of Jesus. You and I are sent into this world with the authority of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus. Secondly, uh, what else is similar about the two sendings, us and the 12 disciples, is that we go speaking. Look at chapter 10 verse 7. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then again in verse 14, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. In Matthew chapter 28, we're described as baptising and teaching people, letting people know about Jesus for the first time and ongoingly. It's a ministry of words, words of the kingdom of God as we are sent into this world. And we'll see as this passage goes on that what's the same for the disciples and for us is that there will be a divided response. Well, these are the things that are similar, but, but what is different? Well, for the 12, it was an extension directly of the ministry of Jesus on the earth. Whereas for us, we are ministering in the authority of Jesus, but we have a ministry of the Spirit. It's a different ministry. Secondly, verse 6 tells us that they are not to go to the whole world, but did you see what it says there? But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. These 12 are sent to the house of Israel. We are sent to the world. There is a difference here. Thirdly, you see in verse 8 that the disciples are to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons and so on. We see that signs and wonders will go alongside the, the uh, words that they proclaim. And we saw last week, didn't we, that Jesus did these signs and wonders. But they were not his mission. We saw from Isaiah chapter 35 that these signs and wonders point to the identity of Jesus as the Messiah. They identify him as the Messiah and then as the Messiah, he will save the world. But you'll notice that the commission we're given in Matthew 28 does not say that we will go with signs and wonders. These men are an extension of the ministry of Jesus, doing these signs and wonders to point to the identity of Jesus but ultimately, theirs was a speaking ministry too, to speak of the word of God. And so there are differences here between our, our, sent, our being sent into the world and the disciples being sent into the world. Nevertheless, it is still true that the harvest is plentiful, the labourers are few, so the Lord is to send out people into his harvest field. 
Jesus sends us to bring the message of the kingdom of God to the whole world, to make disciples of all nations. You and I are sent people if we know the Lord Jesus. And so I want you to think as you go through your Monday morning routine tomorrow, whatever that is, wherever you go, whatever your day-to-day looks like, think to yourself, I go into the world today as a sent person of Jesus. I don't go about my business, I go about Jesus' business. I am sent into the world. And yet, the rest of chapter 10 shows us that as Jesus' disciples, whether us or the 12 here, are sent into the world, there will be a divided response. We would love, wouldn't we, to, to have the gospel be like a product. I don't know what it's like for you as you go through Coles and you walk through the aisles at Coles and different things are marketed to you in different ways by best prices down, down and all that sort of stuff or how you go about doing your shopping. For the most part, things are marketed to us and we either take it or leave it. We don't really think too much about it and we don't tend to get all upset about a particular product. Maybe very occasionally we will, but for the most part, it's one product or another product, take it or leave it. And the the result is if you can just market your product better, you might get better sales and we might be more likely to take it off the shelf. And we'd love it if the gospel was like that. Yeah, people could take it or leave it, but it doesn't really cause any problems and nobody gets upset whether it's this brand or that brand and so on. But, But the gospel divides. The gospel divides. Verses 16 to 24 tell us that there will be opposition and there will be persecution for those sent out into the world. For the first disciples, it will include things like, verse 18, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. But, verse 19 says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, What you are to say will be given you in that hour. And this will be true for us as well. We may not be brought before uh, governors and dragged and flogged in synagogues and so on, like these first disciples were, but the, uh, the letters of the New Testament make it clear that we will be hated for following Jesus. And this is all a result of actually just what happened to Jesus himself. Look at verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Standing for the gospel, being sent out into the world and standing for the gospel will bring opposition and persecution. Are you ready for that? being sent out into this world? Are you ready for feeling left out at work or ostracised or or slandered or worse? Now, thankfully, in our nation, it's probably not going to be worse, but are you ready for those things even? Holding to the gospel of Jesus and holding out the gospel of Jesus as we are sent into this world will bring opposition and persecution. And if you're a sensitive person, if you're a person that values popularity, if you're, if you're a person that likes being one of the crowd, 
If you're a person that likes being liked, and I'm just, I've just described myself, it's going to be tough for you and me. And we often like being, we often like being popular and one of the crowd and being liked. And, and what this can lead us to is, is one of two approaches. On the one hand, we, we actually stop ourselves being sent out into the world. And we can retreat into a, a Christian ghetto. So we spend time with Christians all the time in safety, in security. And we spend time with other believers who are, who are going to affirm who we are. And, and that's a good thing. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Or secondly, we actually do get sent into the world and we live with unbelievers. But we actually want to show them that, that we're not as bad as they think we are. And so we just do all the things that they do and call ourselves a Christian on top of it and, and actually both are wrong. We are sent into this world, sent into this world to hold to Jesus and hold out Jesus to others. And there will be opposition and persecution and we must be ready for it. And sadly, this divided response will extend even to the family itself. Look at verse 34. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This would have been pretty hard for tight-knit first-century Jewish families to have heard. Some will start to follow Jesus and others will not. And this will cause an inevitable split in the family. And this is the inevitable mission of Jesus. As he turns hearts towards himself that are now aligned with Jesus rather than the culture around there will be conflict even within families. Now, this seems harsh, doesn't it? I've not come to bring peace but a sword. I mean, surely Jesus would be for the family of all things. And surely we should be happy with that. Come on, Jesus, be for the, the family. But there's something even more important than the family, according to Jesus. And that more important thing is that he came for your heart and my heart to install himself as king over our heart, over our lives, to align ourselves to him that he might be our highest loyalty even over our own families. I was teaching scripture recently in one of our local schools and one of the activities uh, uh, this particular lesson had the, the kids do was to draw uh, a picture of the greatest treasure they have at home. Uh, what is it that's their greatest treasure? And there's the odd kid that draws the PlayStation 5 or whatever it is. But for the most part, most of the kids drew their family. Their family. And that's lovely at one level, isn't it? It's nice that they appreciate their family so much, but it also goes to show that culturally, that's what's most important to us. We'll protect our family at all costs, Mama Bear and Papa Bear will come and roar when something happens to the kids. But Jesus says, when you hold to Jesus and hold out Jesus, even in the family, 
this may cause conflict. Some of you know this, don't you? When you have, at times, prioritised being with God's people over the family gathering and the family gives you grief about it. Well, some of you know what it's like to live in a family where you are lonely as the only Christian believer in your household while everybody else is against you. Well, you know what it's like to be out of step as you, in your wider family unit, value the Lord Jesus against whatever it is that the family is doing that perhaps is not as ethical as it ought to be. Jesus came for our hearts and this will inevitably divide people. And for the most part, if you're a sensitive person that values the opinion of others, you'll find this incredibly difficult. But we all give our heart to something or someone. And Jesus says, I have come for your heart. Please don't give your heart to the things of this world, but to me as the king of the kingdom of God. And so here's the story of chapter 9 and 10. Jesus has lots of work to do. There's not enough to go out into the world and we need to pray that more would be sent into the harvest. But as we are sent into the world, there will be a divided response. So what are we to do? Well, four things as we finish up. Number one, count the cost. Look at verse 38. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's an elusive little verse, isn't it? But it's such an important one in the scriptures. For someone to find his life, we might put it in these terms. Someone who lives a life of their own. A life of meaning and purpose and security with the, in the things of this world. And Jesus says, the person who has a life of their own, there is a warning that's clear to them. They will actually lose what they're looking for ultimately. The one who looks for satisfaction in the things of this world will not actually find it in the long run and then not have it eternally. Find your life now and you'll lose it in the future. On the other hand, of course, if you give your life over to be sent into the world for Jesus now, it will give all of the appearance of losing your life now. It will seem silly to the people around you, but in actual fact, you will find it in the kingdom of God in eternity forever. I don't know what you're like when you have to make big decisions, but at times I've written a pros and cons list. Have you ever done that? Pros and cons list, try to work out what's the right thing to do. This is not necessarily the thing to write a pros and cons list about. Pros and cons of following Jesus. On the one hand, it would seem that in this world, there's no benefit. I'm going to get sent into the world and it's going to be hard. Heavily weighted to living the good life now. But when we understand the weight of glory in the kingdom of God, then we'll understand that that pros and cons list is really clear. To find your life with Jesus is the way to find life eternally. And so we take up our cross in this world and we follow the Lord Jesus. We count the cost and we follow him. Secondly, do not fear. Do not fear. As we're sent into the world to have a divided response, we're not to fear. Part of counting the cost is counting what to fear. Look at verse 26. 
So have no fear of them, that's the people of the world, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. As we are sent into a hostile world, there is perfectly reasonable understanding that we might be fearful. But Jesus says, just work out your fear properly. You can fear the world or the the greater person to fear. God himself who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear him. And yet, understand that if you know him and you've been sent by him and you go into his harvest field, know this, that he actually cares for you. He cares for you more than a mother or father does. A mother or father knows everything about a child, don't they? The child doesn't remember their early days when they were having their nappies changed, but the mother and father does. But Jesus knows, uh, the, the Lord God knows more than even a mother or father. The number of hairs on the head, easy for some, the number of hairs on the head as it goes. It's an expression of knowing, caring, And understanding the intimate details of each one of our lives. And so the point here is clear. Do not fear. Take heart as you head into a hostile world. As you're sent by the Lord Jesus. Fear God. Do what he says. Go into the world. But know that he values you and cares for you and loves you and will not leave you. And even when things seem hostile, he hasn't rejected you. Count the cost. Do not fear. Thirdly, stick together. Verses 40 to 42 tell us of uh, supporting others who are sent into the, into the world. And to the first readers, this would have been about literally being sent into the different villages and those being accepted and those being rejected. And Jesus calls on the disciples to support those who are being sent into the world. And our support team is called the The church. The church local, the church universal. But far from being uh, drawn into a Christian ghetto in the church, we come together to be supported, encouraged, loved and cared for before we are once again sent out into the world, the hostile world, to hold to Jesus and hold out Jesus to the world. And so we count the cost, we do not fear, we stick together and then fourthly we have compassion as Jesus did. We might read a passage like this and it's pretty harsh in lots of ways, isn't it? And we think to ourselves, far out, following Jesus is hard. And it is. And we might think to ourselves, I'm starting to feel a bit sorry for myself. Woe is me. I'm heading out into the world to live for Jesus and it's going to be hard. Uh, Let's pull no punches. It's going to be hard. But actually a passage like this turns everything around for us. No longer do we feel sorry for ourselves, but we feel sorry for others. We feel sorry for others for what they might do to us. We feel sorry for others for what they might think of us. 
we're turned around with compassion for those who would oppose us. This is clear in the scriptures, isn't it? Jesus is crucified and he says, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. Stephen is stoned to death and he says similar things. And so as we head into this world, as we're sent into a hostile world with a divided response, we don't go in with self-protection, but instead with openness and the compassion of Jesus. We're sent into this world and we see sheep without a shepherd. We see people rudderless, without hope and lost in this world, unsaved, facing hell. The one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So we don't go into this world self-protecting, but prayerfully asking that we might be sent into the harvest field for the cause of Christ with his compassion for the people around us. Brother and sister, Jesus has sent you into this, his harvest field. Understand that there will be a divided response as you bring those words of hope into the world. And so as you go, count the cost, don't fear, stick together and share the compassion of Jesus for the world around us and pray that he might continue to send his disciples, us, into the harvest field for his cause to make disciples of all nations. We might like to ask a question. There's lots to work over there in chapter 10 in particular, and I have skated over the top of some of it. If you've got a question, uh, please write it on slido.com. Hashtag is HBSP. I'm going to stop for maybe 90 seconds or so. You can ask a question, then I'll come back and answer a couple. Okay, a couple of things uh, that are coming through. If you've still got a question, please, please ask it. The first is this. Can you give some practical ways of being sent into our community beyond simply being friends with people? Yeah, that's a, that's a, great, uh, a great question. When Jesus sends us, he says, uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The key thing is making disciples, that's the key, and it's done with words, uh, it's, it's not just done with friendships. So uh, friendships are important, of course, because uh, 
people won't listen to if they don't know you. That's that's definitely true. Uh, but the goal is the goal is always to speak words of of hope about Jesus to other people. So my advice, whenever you start a new a new friendship or connection with someone, be as upfront as you possibly can be about your Christian faith as early as you possibly can be. Um, it's easier to talk about those hard things at the beginning than when you've already got a friendship going. Um, Make it clear that that's what's really important to you, right at the front, right at the outset. Um, yes, then be a good friend to them, but get the opportunity, find the opportunity to speak to them about Jesus and what Jesus' impact on your own life is, your own testimony, your own um, heart for the Lord in that way. Um, uh, other ways of being sent into the community, I think being intentional is incredibly important. One of the things that's been important in my ministry here is that I've always wanted to make sure I'm not just doing church stuff all the time. I, working in a church, I can hang out with Christians all the time. That's really easy for me to do and becomes really safe and actually is the, it's silly. It's the minister of the church spending time with all the Christians all the time. We're all supposed to be out there in the community. That's how it works. So from the very early time I got here, started playing touch football up in the local touch football competition, still playing in that competition today and uh, trying to be intentional about that. The other thing is, um, if, you're, uh, if your kids are, are little and in the local school, in, a primary, in the primary school here, think ahead to what's going to happen in the future. This is our mission field in the local community. But your, uh, your kids will go to high school out of the area. It's going to be really hard for you to meet the other parents because they're from all over the place. Um, so if you don't have some friendships and networks intentionality in the local community, again, you're, not, you're never really going to meet people and you'll just go from one thing to another um, without connecting with, uh, with real people intentionally in that way. So once your kids get to high school, you've got to think about how am I going to build roots in this local community with real people and connect with them in our local area as well. So um, I'd, I'd say thinking intentionally about who you're trying to reach and how you're trying to reach them would be... Um, would be beneficial as well. Um, uh, this is more a comment, I think. Inspiring sermon. Are people feeling called to step out in faith, mission, ministry, and sharing their testimony? Yeah, I, I hope so. That's what, that's what the Lord wants for us. That's what we prayed for halfway through the sermon as well, isn't it? So I'm glad that's the case. Um, thank you for that. Let me pray and uh, we'll uh, sing our final song. Heavenly Father, please continue to work in us that we might be your sent people in this world to make disciples of all nations. And wherever it is that we go tomorrow, remind us, please, that we are sent as your people. And remind us that it is hard. There will be a divided response as we speak those words about Jesus. Not everybody will accept it. But we ask, please, that you would give us the courage we need to accept this, that we would count the cost, that we would... Uh, fear you and remember that you love and care for us and that we would stick together and encourage and support one another as we step out into this world for your sake. Heavenly Father, please, would you work, work on our hearts most of all, that you would help us to see the world around us as Jesus did, as sheep without a shepherd, lost and rudderless, in need of the compassion that you have. Would you please work in our hearts that as we drive down Walker Street or find ourselves at work with lots of people around us, please give us that vision that we might see them as lost people in need of the shepherd of their souls, the Lord Jesus, to be king in their hearts. And please may you uh, move us uh, that we uh, might uh, well represent you in the world in which you're sending us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Uh, please stand. We're going to sing our final song. Uh, and can it be?